offered a water break in the middle of a worship service before, but at the, uh, the, the, the temperature and the weather and the full body worship experience. Thanks again, Super Choir. Thank you. For the Lord is uh, the Lord of body and soul, of every part of us, and we seek when we gather to be able to give all that we are uh, back to Him in, uh, in mind, in body, and in spirit. And I, I pray what we just uh, sang, and indeed is our prayer as we gather around the Word, that we want to see God. We want Him to open the very eyes of our heart so that we will see Him, we will encounter Him, we will learn um, from Him. And our passage this morning is in John chapter 17. We've been working our way through the Gospel of John um, this, this year, and we're coming to a close as we approach Palm Sunday, next Sunday, and Easter Sunday. And uh, today we uh, see his uh, passage where Jesus is his closing prayer, in a sense, of his uh, time on, on earth. Um, he uh, is with the disciples, and they're in the upper room, and you just uh, the next chapter is... Uh, his betrayal and arrest. So this, he knows that's what's coming, and so he wants to give his his final prayer in the, the within the, the presence of the disciples, within in their hearing, and sharing with him from the depth of his heart as he, in a sense, passes off the mission from him uh, to them. So let's uh, pray together. Gracious God, we do pray that you would open the eyes of our heart, that we would see you, we would experience you, that we would know um, you, and that you would lead us to what is true, what is good, what is right, what is beautiful. For your glory and your honor, we pray. And all of God's people say, Amen. Again, it's John 17. Found on page 879 in your pew Bible, or you can follow along on the screen. We'll, we'll start at verse 11. Um, in, in essence, what you see here in Jesus' prayer is he, he, the first uh, seven, eight verses, he's praying for himself and uh, uh, praying for that, that he's finished. The work that he has been sent to do is finished, and now he is going to complete the, uh, uh, is now going to return home. The, the glory that he has returned to the Father, um, has been completed. And so now he then turns his sight onto his disciples, and as we see, as we'll read, onto us, to those that believe because of his, the words and ministry of the disciples. So we'll, we'll start with verse 11. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them in your name that you have given me. 
I guarded them, and not one of them was lost, except the one destined to be lost, so that the Scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world, so that they may have my joy made complete in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself so that they also may be sanctified in truth. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given them, so that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, I titled this sermon, Don't Be a User. And I borrowed that from Dallas Willard, who is a philosophy professor at the University of Southern California and a Christian speaker. And what he is, his point is in saying that oftentimes in the church we can fall into a trap of developing users of Jesus instead of followers of Jesus. Fall in the trap of developing consumers of Jesus instead of servants of Jesus. That in a way, Jesus sometimes can become like our, our medication or an entertaining distraction instead of the Lord and leader and boss of our lives. And what, what I, I find in this particular passage is that Jesus is, is gathering His small group of committed followers. They've been with Him now for three years. And, and He is passing off the baton. He, he's saying, I'm leaving and now you are it. You're, you're the plan to continue to carry out the work that... I have started. Now you, you guys are going to be the ones to, to pursue together God's rescue mission for the world. And so as he's gathering with them this, this last time, uh, telling them this, this is your mission, gives a, a hint and direction to the mission. One of the verses we didn't read, but that Jesus, was, uh, that Jesus said at the beginning of the prayer in verse 3, where he says that he has come to give eternal life to all whom God has given to him. And this is eternal life, Jesus says, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. 
So that was his purpose, to bring eternal life. That, that, that those with him could know God, could experience God, could know God in the biblical sense. You know, the, not, not just to know in your head, but the same word that's used when Adam knows Eve and they had children. It's that kind of intimate Knowledge, that kind of relationship. That's why Jesus came to give that eternal life, that relationship with God. And now He's going to the Father and He's telling His disciples, You're the ones who are going to have to carry this on. They are part of a team, they are the team. They are the ones that are going to carry on the mission. Jesus did not gather them just to make them feel good. Jesus didn't gather them to protect them from the world as, as we read on. Jesus didn't gather them to, to teach them so that they could hang out in the nice peace and comfort of the upper room. He gathered them to carry out a mission that when He left, they were going to continue. Jesus didn't come just so we could get our ticket punched for that glory train. He didn't come just to give us fire insurance. He came to invite us to be a part of a mission. A glorious mission. The grandest mission of all. A rescue mission. To help the world come to know their Creator. That's why I was, uh, it, it, it's wonderful if those of you who've been participating with me and others in the 30-day prayer covenant that uh, Jerry Kirk um, brought to us to pray for one another and to pray for me. And I want you to know, I've been praying for you by name. If you put your name on there, that, that even on vacation, I had Janice uh, text me the names or email me the names. So that I could be praying even on vacation for each one of you that we would not feel good in Jesus, but that we would be praying for each other so that Jesus would be the Lord of our lives in new ways every day. That He would be leading us in this mission. As followers of Jesus today, we are part of that team. The crucial question as we look at this passage for us to consider is that we've got to understand that God is the ruler and the director, the leader of our lives. He's the coach who assigns the roles and places us in in the right spots to fulfill His plan. The passage here is clear that God is actively involved in our lives. Actively involved in our lives to protect us and to prepare us for this mission. About uh, now six years ago that uh, a sociologist named Christian Smith came out with a, a book where, where he had surveyed a number of, of Christians. And, and what he did from his survey is he, he looked to see, the, try to discern from them what really was their religious belief. What, really, what was the most popular religion in the world? Or in America, that's what he was coming up with. And, and, and he interviewed a lot of people. And what he said was really the most popular religion in America is what he called, now these are big, you know, highfalutin sociologist terms, moralistic, therapeutic deism. Okay, so hang with me. Moralistic, therapeutic deism. Now deism, 
means that God is understand. It's an understanding that, that, that God is sort of like the big grandfather in the sky. He got things started, got it rolling, you know, lit the first match, but then he just sort of let it go. And he sits in his rocking chair sipping tea on the front porch, just watching. That's sort of what deism is. And, and the, the therapeutic means that every once in a while, when we're really in trouble, he'll get up from his chair and he'll come help us when we're in need of his, of his touch in some way. That's the therapeutic part. That he's going to help us when we're in trouble. And the moralistic part is that from his place on the front porch, he will give us some guidance and direction as to what's right and wrong. But for the most part, he's just sort of sitting on his front porch. That's the, almost the total opposite of the picture that Jesus presents here in his, his final prayer for the disciples that he's about to leave and for us. See, he wasn't about developing users or consumers of him, but of followers, of servants. And so the, the two key words in his prayer for his disciples are that he asked God to protect them and to sanctify them. Now, protect and sanctify, another one of those church words. You probably won't hear anywhere else. You wonder, is that some kind of new kind of sink cleanser or something? What, what sanctify means is to set apart. To, to say, to choose them, to draft them onto the team, to sort of keep that metaphor. You, you, you set them apart and then you prepare them for the mission. And so Jesus is saying, asking the Father, God, protect them as I leave. Because I'm about to leave. I've been protecting them. If you look at verses 11 through 15, it's what he's saying. I've been protecting them. I've been walking walking with them. I've been protecting them in your name. But now I'm leaving. And so I need you, Father, to protect them. I need you to keep them. Look again at verse 11 and, and through 15. And now I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them in your name that you've given me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them in your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them was lost, except the one destined to be lost, so that the scripture might be fulfilled. So he prays for them to be one. Protect them so that they're one. Protect them so that they're faithful. So that they stay true to me. Verse 13. But now I'm coming to you and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy may complete in themselves. Protect them so that they're one. Protect them so that they're, they're faithful. We don't lose anymore. And protect them so that they have my joy complete in them. And he goes on a little later to say, I'm not asking you to take them out. Don't don't take them out of the world, but protect them from the evil one. Similar to the Lord's Prayer that we're about to pray. As Jesus is leaving them, he's now left them to carry out the work. 
And just as Jesus, in doing this, this work, is gonna, has met opposition, direct opposition, so too are these disciples that are in Jesus' earshot at that time. They're going to face the same opposition, the same struggles that Jesus faced. And so Jesus is saying, protect them. Keep them one. Keep them filled with joy. Keep them faithful to me. Protect them as they carry out this mission because they're going to be rejected just like I have been. As I I thought about this, the the picture that that came to mind was that here's God, the creator of the universe, becoming human, coming among us, and yet the, the world rejected Him. So, sort of like God's like a, if you'll humor me this, like a heart surgeon, you know, a, a heart transplant surgeon. And, and what I understand about transplants, organ transplants, is that one of the biggest concerns is that you, you take out the, the unhealthy organ and you put in a new organ, but the biggest concern is that the host body is going to reject the new healthy organ. And in a sense, Jesus is like that. Jesus is like a heart transplant. He's, he's given, he's trying to give the world a new heart. And the world rejects that heart. The, the, the church is the same thing. That Jesus' disciples and we who follow are the same thing. We, we are to be carrying out <clears throat> that mission of being a heart transplant for the world. I mean, we are now the body of Christ. As Christ was in the world, so now the church is in the world, carrying out the same mission of Jesus, trying to bring to the world a heart transplant. And there will be ways that the new heart is rejected. And so Jesus seeks the Father to protect those disciples and to protect us. Sanctify them, he says in verse 17. Protect them, sanctify them. Set them apart. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Set them apart. That they, they live according to your words. According to your desires, Father. Not the, the desires of their own heart or the desires of others, but yours. So saint, set them apart for that purpose. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And then get this, verse 20. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You know, what y'all were singing a little bit ago, we were all singing about not being forgotten. Do you realize in the omniscience of God the Son that Jesus was praying for you by name in that moment? Because he says here, I'm not just praying for the, the 12 disciples, but I'm praying for those of you who will believe because of their words. And that's you and me. 
In the omniscience of God, he would have known those names. He wouldn't have forgotten. He would have known our name and would have been praying for us even at that moment. We are on exactly the same mission as the 12 disciples who are literally with Jesus on the day and time of this prayer. We've been drafted onto the team. The team that seeks to give the world a new heart, even though at times being rejected. So Jesus prays for you and for me. Protect them. Set them apart. Protect them. Set them apart for unity, for faithfulness, for joy. Verse 21. I pray on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us. We're this being one, being faithful, being filled with joy is so that we fulfill, we, we parallel the character of God. I mean, they're to be one because Jesus is in the Father. That's the very unity of God is then to be lived out in the unity of the people of God. And get this, so that, this is the the why, there's the the so that. So that the world may believe that you've sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them. The presence of God that was in Jesus is now given to us through the Holy Spirit. So the glory that you've given me, I've given to them so that they may be one as we are one. You think he's sort of saying that a lot? Must be important. I and them, you and me, that they may become completely one, again, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. He prays for us protection. He prays for us to be set apart so that the world will see and know and learn to love. You know, that, that illustration of being a heart transplant isn't all that far-fetched. If you are a Christian, like the New Testament talks about being a Christian, then you're on Jesus' team. You're, you're part of the mission. And, and you and I were the recipients of these prayers of Jesus on that day and those prayers that continue even now as Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf. Another way to say uh, moralistic therapeutic deism is to say uh, cosmic butler or divine vending machine. God is not our cosmic butler or divine vending machine. He is our leader. He is our Lord. He is the the, the one who has called us, equipped us, empowered us, now gifted us for a, a, a mission like no other. A mission that never ends. A lifelong pursuit that now each one of us, no matter how young or how old, 
at work or at school or wherever we are, we are, we are on that mission. And that same God, those same prayers are with us, protecting us, setting us apart, no matter who we are and where we are, to carry out this particular purpose. And it's a lifelong pursuit. Y'all, in the last two Sundays, if you were here, have, have had the privilege of hearing from two of my heroes, especially as it relates to this passage. Two men who are on a mission. Jerry Kirk and Chappie. Those two guys could have retired 15 times over in the last decade and and still been acclaimed for the, the work that they've done both around the world. But both of them aren't just doing a job, not just trying to actualize themselves or fulfill themselves. They are on a mission that they will be on as long as their body and mind allows. I want to be like them when I'm 80. Or if you, you know Dottie Zimmerman. She usually sits in one of these chairs right here. Dottie's not 80. She's 92. And she's still, every Monday, is a chaplain at Christ Hospital. And every couple months will come tell me of someone that she's led to the Lord in the hospital room, in the hospital bed. Because she's not interested in retiring. She's on a mission. When you're on a mission, you don't retire and you don't set it aside. No matter where you are. I pray in these next two weeks as we finish the Lenten season that we will be praying that Jesus will be Lord of our lives in new ways every day and that that will become a habit for every morning that our eyes open. That we will recognize that we're on a mission. A lifelong mission of Jesus through the power of His Spirit living through us. Seeking to bring a heart transplant to the world as He makes us unified in Him, faithful in Him, joy-filled in Him so that the world may know and believe 